Well, good morning, beloved. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. It is smack dab in the middle of the uh, Mark's gospel. It's a very fast-paced gospel, and here in chapter 8, there is a noticeable pivot. There's a change in the story and what un, uh, un, unravels and comes before, uh, after this. Um, you see, it's in chapter 8 that Jesus fully reveals who he is. And literally, it's all downhill for him from there. Mark chapter 8, um, he reveals this to his disciples as far away from Jerusalem as you could get in those days. He is taking a hike and a walk up to the uh, village of, or villages of Caesarea Philippi, which is about 20 to 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. So he was as far away as you can be from the Jerusalem temple and the religious authorities to share who he is. Now, like any group of people, on a long journey, on a hike, there was banter as they talked to one another as they made their way along the journey. And we're picking up in some of the banter. Listen, my friends, to Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist. Others, Elijah, and still others, that you're one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. And then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said all this quite openly. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter. And said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Who? Who do you say that I am? It's a simple enough question, quite frankly. Thus far in Mark's story, we get several glimpses into who people thought Jesus was. He was a healer. He was a sage teacher. He was a troublemaker for the Jewish authorities. And people came to Jesus of what, because of what Jesus could do for them. So Jesus takes this opportunity with his closest companions 
and he asks, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? Now his disciples think that some believe that he is the reincarnated John the Baptist who is calling people back to repent. Some people say he is Elijah, the great prophet from centuries ago that has come back from the dead and he would be a thorn in the Roman government's side just as Elijah was a thorn in Ahab's side. And yet others, they felt Jesus was a prophet who spoke truth to power and foretold the actions of God. And, and, and then Jesus, all of a sudden, he flips the question. Who do you say that I am? Have you ever gone to a party or a social function where people don't know you? What's the usual first question out of their mouth when they meet you? Hi, what do you do? People identify us for what we do, typically. It's hard for me as a pastor to go to parties or get-togethers like that for, with people that I don't know. Um, because when I answer, well, I'm a pastor, they, they, they respond in one of two ways. You see, they either will want to talk about these spiritual issues and conundrums or debate about the existence of God, which, by the way, is not a bad thing to do, or else their faces go pale. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, wrong person to ask. What do you do? I mean, sometimes I've just gotten to the point where I say, I sell insurance. <laughs> it's a lot easier. I don't have to explain myself as much. But they think I'm going to judge them because I'm a pastor. They think I'm going to respond to them in a certain way because of what I do. For doctors, once people know that you're a doctor, they will ask you medical questions. Hey, hey doc, listen, I got this thing with my arm. Or if you're a lawyer, you're at a get-together, they're going to, oh, you're a lawyer? Listen, I got a legal question. What if my neighbor, why do we do that? We go and we meet someone, and the very first thing we ask them is, what do you do? We pry to find what function they serve in the world, and then we identify that person with that function. When strangers ask me what I do, and I tell them I'm a pastor, they get all weird. Start relating with me differently. You know, they hide their drink behind the back. <laughs> Whoops, I didn't see that. They'll apologize for the off-color joke they just said. Oh, how I wish it wasn't that way when I went to social functions and meet people for the first time. You know, I would love to go to social functions and the people don't ask each other, what do you do? I would love to go to a social function and say, hear them say, Patrick, tell me about who you are. Tell me about who you are. 
What a novel question. You see, I am so much more than what I do for a living. Being a pastor is a function I fulfill. It is a part of who I am. But I am so much more. I'm a man who seeks to love God and to love others. I'm a man who is deeply sensitive and feels the pain of other people. To my family, I'm not a pastor. I'm the husband who takes the trash out. I'm a daddy. I'm a granddaddy. Yeah. I'm a frustrated poet. I'm a frustrated motorcycle enthusiast, and I'm frustrated because I don't have a motorcycle. <laughs> I am so much more than what I do for a living. It's like these guys blowing horns. Is that all they do all their lives? I hope not. <laughs> I want to know who they are. Why do they blow those horns? Beloved, this is what Jesus is asking his disciples. This is what Jesus is asking his disciples. He isn't asking them about what function he fills as a preacher, as a teacher, as a prophet, or a healer. Jesus is asking his closest friends who am I? Who do you think I am in the core of my being, in the core of my essence? You see, it's a question Jesus asks not to learn what they think he does, but it's a question Jesus asks the disciples to determine who they think he is at his core. Not about function. It's about Jesus's isness, his very being. It's about his identity. Church historian Diana Butler Bass in her wonderful new book, Freeing Jesus, notes the Apostle Paul's first encounter with Jesus and Paul's conversation with Jesus after his conversion. She writes, Paul asked, who are you? Not what are you doing? Or why are you talking to me? Who is a relational question. A question that opens up towards companionship. It's the question we try to answer whenever we meet someone new. She says, if we find, if we find out the who that is sitting across from us, we might know how to proceed in the relationship with them. To know who is an invitation into relationship that can change us and send our lives in directions we never imagined. Peter, presumably speaking on behalf of the group, he nails the answer to the who question. Who am I? Peter pipes up. You are the Messiah. Yay, Peter. 
You see, Messiah harkens back to the description of God's Son in Jewish memory. Back to Psalm 2. It brings to their mind for the Jews back then the prophetic words of Jeremiah 23 that talk about the righteous branch that will come up from the shoot of David who will lead the people out with justice and righteousness. Messiah is the divinely appointed liberator who puts people on the path to God after they are released from the bonds of what holds them back. Messiah generates followers. Did you know that Messiah, translated the word Christ, is the most often used term to describe Jesus? More, it, 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 it's way more than Savior. Jesus is referred to as Savior three times in all four Gospels. And that's in only two of them. <laughs> three times. One after the other, he is referred to as the Messiah, the liberator. Bless Peter's heart. And if you're Southern, you know what that means. God love him. He answered the who question correctly. However, he completely flubbed about what that means. When Jesus tells him what is going to happen to him, because of who he is as Messiah, Peter pulls Jesus aside and admonishes him. For you see, for Peter, Jesus' understanding of Messiah didn't fit what Peter wanted, what Peter expected. Peter wanted a Jesus that would accommodate his needs. He wanted to mold Jesus into his own personal opinion of what Messiah should be. And it surely wasn't the one that was just described by Jesus. And then we read, Jesus has none of it. So, beloved, Communion Sunday. This Communion Sunday, we are taking the place the disciples' place along Jesus on the road. All of a sudden, Jesus stops and He puts His arm on your, on your arm and He looks at you. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Remember, he's not asking you to describe what he does. Jesus is inviting you into relationship with who he is. And the question for you and for me is, how do we answer? Do we understand Jesus to be Messiah? Or do we, like Peter and the others, try to make Jesus into what we want him to be? Moldable, adaptable, convenient. My friends, as we share the meal together, 
I invite you to seriously contemplate who Jesus is to you. And perhaps the more challenging question, however, is whether or not the way we live our everyday lives reflect that understanding. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come, Holy Ghost. Amen. Where were you 20 years ago? It's a question we have all been wrestling with. Especially this weekend. 20 years ago, we discovered a new breed of heroes in our country. For so long, we honored the women and men of our military for their service to our country. But something happened on 9-11 that added to our nation's heroes. First responders. Firemen, policemen, paramedics. My friends, a lot has happened in our country the last 20 years. Some of it very good. Some of it not so much. But as a people, as a nation, let us come together and unite ourselves Unite ourselves around the notion that we are a people on the same path, on the same journey, and that we need each other. Let us enter into a moment, one minute of silence as we remember those first responders who died or are dying because of the illnesses they got, their families, and commend those who died on 9-11 in Pennsylvania, New York, Washington, as we commit them to the loving care of God. Join me for a moment of silence. For loving God, we come this day at the communion table. What an appropriate day. 
as we remember those who have died and have given their lives for safe, for safety of others. Lord, we come to this incredible table today that reminds us that death is not a period. But that as we gather around the table as community, we are lifted into the very spiritual presence of Jesus. And there are those who have died and gone before us, and together we break bread. We have supper with you and with them, the saints of God. Wow. Spirit of Jesus, come, take this basic common bread, separate it from its everyday use. And the same with this grape juice. Lord, it is from the fruit of the vine. But it's more than that. May this bread and this cup, oh Lord, may they be for us the participation in that Holy Supper centuries ago as we are lifted in your presence. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. Glory and honor is due your name. Come. Fill us with this meal. Amen. My friends, I hope that you have been given a little communion packet. I just want to remind you that on the hardest day of Jesus' life, he was with his best friends. And they didn't fully understand what Messiah meant. But that's okay. Because Jesus is full of grace. And he looked at his friends and he said, Beloved, this is my body which is for you. Take. Eat. All of it. And in a similar fashion after dinner, he took the cup of the covenant, the new covenant, and he said, Beloved, this is my blood which has been shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so we do. Beloved, the body and the blood of Christ which is for you.